2: With no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. You know the rules of the game. Yeah. You know the rules of the game. I don't care what color. Can you make me hundred million?
3: Let's talk, talk money. Can you
2: make me that?
3: If you can't make me that... I
2: to, to you. you shouldn't I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless there's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a
4: millionaire and go on, do what I want to do. Have kids go live my trip and join the games life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours.
5: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show.
2: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Blackwell Renaissance podcast. Your boy, David Bellar, one-fourth of the Blackwell Renaissance, checking in with my co-hosts,
1: fellas. How y'all feeling?
5: What's up, what's up, what's up? It's your boy, Jalen, checking in, feeling great on this lovely Saturday. What about y'all, fellas?
1: What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Kelly, checking in, feeling great on this lovely Saturday work. Got a lot of stuff coming up from BWR, working on. What you doing over there, Jared? Man, what up, what up, what up, y'all? Like,
3: I can't complain, you know. It's another Saturday. Just enjoying it and trying to get some work done and stuff. Trying to keep up with everything. <laughs> like Kelly said, got a lot of stuff coming.
5: I yeah. see you shining, man. Got the cash flow shirt on. Yeah, got man. your little gold chain. You know, we've we been in the lab, been in the
3: lab
2: working. <laughs> yeah, but man. We're we going to let y'all know us in the lab whenever we get done with the lab. That's not what we're here for today. <laughs> today we got another great Episode uh, highly anticipated. Highly episode. anticipated. We gotta throw that one on there. Yeah, <laughs> a great lady out of Philadelphia doing some great work in real estate, educating the
5: monumental people. work,
2: dropping just gems on the internet day in and day out.
5: She will uh, give a damn who she offend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we talking about none other than Miss Aisha Seldon. Aisha, how you doing?
4: What's up, y'all? What's up? You know, it's funny because I was um, I probably watched more TV in the last like week than I've watched in the last twenty years and I was watching Kill Bill, both volumes, which are like two of my favorite movies. And I was like, yo, I'm Pi May. Like, people always like, can you like ask, you know, can you teach us a little nicely? Can you say it a little sweetly? And I'm like, nigga, no. I am like, <laughs> like cool. you know, like of my French, but fuck your feelings. Like, it's like, we got so much work to do. And, you know, we, we're I, like Blackwell Twitter and, you know, you guys and folks on Instagram, we're like just scratching the surface, what can actually happen, the renaissance, that can actually happen in our communities. And, you know, and I'm sure there are a bunch of people out there who are saying it nicely, but, you know, me, I'm thinking, beginning with the end in mind, we've got so much work to do. I ain't got time to sugarcoat. I ain't got time to say it nicely. I'm like, let's just get it done. And okay.
5: that's, that's, that's one of the things we love about you, because that's the same way we are. We're not gonna sugarcoat it. We're not gonna, we're just going to say what we got to say. Got to get that information in the people's face. Because everybody don't react to the nice, oh, you know, hey, yeah. let me hold your hand. Let me show you how to do this. No, sometimes they need a little bit of assertiveness.
4: Yep, And you know what? And it's that's a great point because there's there are people out there who give a message different, you know, in a different way that I do. And that's OK. You know, there are pages out there was like comment, amen or say this word over and over. Like, you know, there are those pages out there. That's just not not mine. Yeah. So, and I speak from you know what my experiences and what resonates with me and how I am. I try to keep it authentic, and I think that that's I think that that resonates with a lot of people. Uh, the authenticity.
5: Yes, yeah, be, being real, like yeah. just being yourself. We was just
2: talking about that with uh, Ashley on the line. But Aisha, I do want to cop into it now. Like we kind of got ahead of ourselves. Normally, when we kick off the show, we want to let you introduce yourself to our following for all the people who are unfamiliar with you.
5: Yep. And just like how you guys started and on your journey.
4: Yep. So, um, to take it back, uh, this upcoming June, I will celebrate my 20th year anniversary as a stockbroker, as a financial advisor. So I got into this right out of college at a dual degree in economics and marketing with a minor in communications came out of temple and started working in June of 2000 as a financial planner. So investing actually stock investing specifically, that's my first love. So It took me quite a bit of time to learn how to become a disciplined investor, but that's where I got my start. Two years after I became a financial advisor, I bought my first foreclosed rental property. Two years after that, I bought another one. And then I just kind of continued with my stock portfolio for a number of years. And then in 2011, the Philly real estate market looked really, really attractive. So that was probably right around the point where our market here in Philly had bottomed from the great recession. So I started buying aggressively in 2011. I mean, I, I went from, I don't know, two, three doors in 2011 to now I've got 44 doors, in addition to, you know, doing some other stuff. So I've got a franchise, I've got my stock portfolio. And these numbers, you know, it's all relative. There are cats out there with three, four, 500 doors. I mean, a thousand doors. I mean, it's all relative. It's all about your own journey we can build it however we want. Some people criticize the fact that I like low leverage. Some people say that I'm not scaling fast enough. I don't care because at the same time, when you've got black swan events, like we're in right now, literally every single one of my tenants could not pay rent and I'd be totally fine. So, you know, I always tell people there's multiple ways to skin a cat. And that's what I like about investing. Find the path that works for you and rock out with it. So that's my background. So I talk a lot about this stuff on on my social media platforms. I've got an Instagram page and Twitter page that I'm on mostly, uh, both my name and Aisha Selden.
5: Where did you find your love for like economics and everything?
4: Sorry, I got a crazy dog. Um, So that's actually the joys of working from home. Normally I do these podcasts in my office, but obviously different times call for different measures. But to answer your question, my love for investing, I mean, I've always, I was, I was that kid. You know, for me, if I didn't have the mom that I have, I would have been a drug dealer without a doubt. I mean, I had already like, I had the plan laid, like I had the money stacked, like I had the, I knew who was going to be my runner. I worked at McDonald's when I was in high school and I like, I mean, I'm from the hood, you know, like that's, that's what you do. Those are the examples that you have. All the money people sold drugs in my community. So I remember my mom coming to my room one day and saying, whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it and that was like i had like all the stuff laid out i was like all right you going to sell it you like i, I you know we going to flip it so for me having my money make money always made sense to me that wasn't like an eye opening thing what i had to learn was one how to do it legally and two how to do it as a disciplined investor because i feel like most people when it comes down to investing most people respond to their money and their investments just like they do when they're in Vegas. They respond based on fear and greed. You know, you're sitting at that blackjack table, your heart's racing, and you start making all the wrong moves because you're emotionally invested and your money's on the table. That's how people respond in the stock market or in the real estate market. Like if I were to ask a question like how do you make money in the stock market? Most people would tell me, "Well, you buy low and you sell high." Sure, that's exactly how you make money in the stock market. You buy something when it's low, you sell something when it's high. But when it comes down to our money, being on the line, just like in Vegas, when a stock drops, most people are like, oh shit, I need to sell this. I need to get out of this thing. Or when something has gone up that we don't own has run up 20, 30, 40%, they're like, oh, I want some of that. So it's like, if you think about the psychology behind that, we call it behavioral finance. If you think about the psychology behind that, that makes no sense. You just told me you make money by buying low and selling high. But when our money's on the line, we want to do the exact opposite which is why the average investor way underperforms the S&P 500 because we make all the wrong decisions. So, you know, for me, becoming a disciplined investor was getting to that point where I could look around and say, like, arguably the best investor alive, Warren Buffett. Back in the 90s, he was highly criticized because there was this dot-com like explosion, right? You know, so everybody was making money on it. Like all these dot-com companies were killing it. And he was like, This is a farce. He was like, it's a bubble. It's not going to continue indefinitely. And he was criticized as being out of touch. You know, you know what you're talking about. You're an old geezer, all this crap. And he was 100% right. And a lot of people, me included, that was my very first investment, was a technology mutual fund in 1999. And I lost 70% of my investment. And that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because it taught me chasing returns uh, for all the wrong reasons never work. So it took me going from a tech bubble burst to, you know, then I was betting big on satellite radio. They had like none of the fundamentals made sense, but I was chasing returns just like everyone else. So it took a lot of those little lessons for me to learn, like don't chase returns, have a discipline. You know, I wanted to get them on Bitcoin like everybody else because everybody else was making a ton of money, but I had to go back to my disciplines and make astute and disciplined decisions.
3: Who needs
2: an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles
5: and a breakfast
2: cutoff? ba da ba ba That's
5: some powerful words right there. Um, and you kind of answered my other question. I was going to ask what was your first investment. But I do want to ask you, so once your mom told you, no, don't do that, what did you turn to and say, you know what, now this is what I'm going to do to go flip my money?
4: So, you know, I, of course, pretended I had no idea what she was talking about, which was of course, which, yeah, I was like, what, what happened, mom, when, who, do, who about to do something? So, you know, from there, so at 16, when she, actually I was probably around 17, we had that conversation. I just focused on saving. And I know a lot of folks talk about that. Like I was just stacking my bank account because I didn't know what to do. Like the drug money made sense because I was like, all right, I can take money from my savings. That's not earning a whole heck of a lot of interest. And I can give it to my homie. She can go ahead and sell it We'll double our money. And then, you know, we re-up. So when my mom kind of like shot down my Griselda Blanco aspirations, I then like just started stacking my cash, just waiting for like the opportunity to learn how to legitimately invest my money. So I was, you know, I had a lot of cash. I mean, at 16, 17 years old, I had more probably saved in my bank account than my mother did. And so that's, that is innate in me. I'm a natural born saver. But like I tell people all the time, getting wealthy is not about being a good saver. Being wealthy is obviously first and foremost, knowing how to save, but then more importantly, knowing how to make your money work while
1: you're sleeping. I kind of want to go back and say you talking about the discipline investing. How, what was the process of that? Like to become a disciplined investor? Was it books that you read? I know you talked about the dot-com bubble and yep. the mutual fund, but I know, was there any type of learnings that you had to become that disciplined investor?
4: You know, that's a great question. And we all learn differently, right? So for me, I don't learn through like classes, podcasts. There are books that I've read have mostly taught me more about personal development, self-awareness, that kind of stuff. For me, trial by fire is the best way to learn. So to a certain extent, I had a second upbringing, I had a second raising. And that was basically what I call the white collar boot camp of being a brand new financial advisor. So my firm at the time, so when I started out of uh, college, I actually worked for American Express, which most people don't know this, but many, many moons ago, American Express had a financial advisors division. So they had the card and travel business, they had the insurance division, and they had a financial advisors division. So when I came out of college, I joined the company because I'm like, oh, who the hell want to work for American Express? So that training that I got, because they basically took a bunch of us 22, 23-year-olds right out of college, they cleaned us up and put us in a room, there was probably about a hundred of us, and they like drilled into us scripts and discipline and models and leadership development courses and personal development trainings. So that's where I got a lot of my just disciplined investing strategies, just sitting in those classes, studying for my series seven. So that's where I got a bunch of the stuff, but really trial by fire is how I learned. So me just making a bunch of mistakes, figuring out, okay, that doesn't work. Oops, that doesn't work. Getting burned again, that doesn't work. That's really how I learned. So I encourage people, and again, this is depending on how you learn. Some people get burned and they'll never touch an investment again. So some people need books, podcasts, classes, seminars, trainings. I think some of that can be a little bit of overkill because then suddenly people aren't taking action at all. But I often encourage people open up like a, a Schwab app account or open up your cash app and like start buying some stocks, see what works, see what doesn't work. But that's just how I learn. So, you know, obviously people need to figure out how they learn and, and go from there.
2: That's that's a major, major lesson about learning how to learn, because that's uh that I think we we, we talk about that kind of often, like people really they don't understand the difference between analysis, paralysis and like the necessary loss that you're yeah. going to have to take to really learn that lesson.
5: Because everybody got to take an L. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been. Even like you just said, Warren Buffett, I know he's been burned before. You have to take those L's so you can learn and come out on the other side. Like you said, more disciplined, more yep. creative now. And now you have, okay, that didn't work. So let me not do that again.
4: Yep. You know, I even think, from a real estate perspective, I have like, people wonder why I say don't buy at the peak of the market, new construction condos in a high tax area. And people like, well, be like, well, I feel like you should, because I like condos and they want more, your loan. Like, you know? And the reason I can say all that stuff is because I bought a new construction condo in a high tax area. Like I did that. I've been there. I've done, in fact, I've got one of those condos today that I bought in 2007. It was new construction in a high tax area, and it's a condo, so I have a condo fee. I couldn't sell that thing today. So we're talking almost 13 years later. I couldn't sell it today for the note I still have on it.
5: Was, is so that in Philly?
4: It's in, a, it's in a suburb right outside of Philly, in a, in a high tax, I mean, it's, it's a better school district, but it's in a high tax area suburb right outside of Philly. So I speak from experience that in 2007 taught me what mm. not to do. And, you know, we could, you can look back at, on it in retrospect and, you know, play Monday morning quarterback. But, you know, that's why when I said to someone in 2019, 2020, why it would not make sense to buy a brand new construction condo and a high tax. So like, and people were like, well, why? Like, why are you saying that? Like, cause I got that t-shirt already. So most <laughs> of the things I talk about are 100% from experience.
2: I'm glad you mentioned buying it in 07 because that's something we did want to go back and talk with you about. So, you went through the dot com bubble and, and you went through, through the, the Great, great recession. recession. So, yeah. how was that whole experience? How was it navigating that?
4: You know, it was um, fortunately for me, I was more heavy stocks in 20, 2000, you know, right, right around the recession period. So, I didn't have a lot of real estate. But one of the things that it taught me just watching other real estate investors. Is not to be overleveraged. So I went into the recession having a few doors already, not a whole lot of debt. So even if I needed to drop my rents, which fortunately I didn't, I still would have been okay. But I saw a lot of people like dropping like flies, like bankruptcy, like Chapter Eleven, Chapter Seven. Like people were people were dropping like crazy. It was short sales everywhere. Like one of the most eye-opening experiences for me was buying a foreclosure, walking into the house for the first time after we closed on it. And I just happened to pick up the mail, read through the mail. And it was like someone I knew Mm -hmm. and like, I'm like looking at this mail, like, yo, I know her, like, I didn't know this was her house. I was buying and I know her story. Like, you know, so when I talk about, when I talk about don't be the Joneses, she was a Jones, like you couldn't tell me she had her financial stuff together. Had the Range Rover Had like everything from an outward perspective, like everything looked like she had it all together. And I, was, I bought her house in foreclosure. So, you know, when I say these things, and a part of the passion that I have around like, oh, can you say it nicely? And oh, why are you saying that kind of stuff? Like, you know, I'm not trying to be like Cosby was, you know, shitting on Black people, you know, on a world tour ages ago. I'm speaking from the perspective of we have so much talent, so much wisdom, so much opportunity, and help ain't on the way. So it's up to us to figure this out.
3: Why do you think so many people like, on the usual basis, like, give you pushback on that. Like, when you tell folks, like, hey, I'm not counting your pockets. Like, I just understand nine times out of ten, if you have this expensive car and you don't have the assets, yet I deal with these people on a daily. Like, I saw you tweeting about that. It's just, like, it's not – it's coming from a place of experience. Why do you think so many people don't think that?
4: You know, what? somebody was just arguing with me on IG about someone that I had posted on my page. And they went to his page and said – based on what I can see from his page, it doesn't seem to me like he has a lot of money. Right. And I'm like, I'm curious to know what does someone's page look like who has a lot of money? And they're like, you know, oh, well, you know, I would feel like somebody had like this many millions on their page. Like you should be able to see the wealth. They should have this card. And I'm like, and this person is dead serious. And I'm like, so and I'm like, you do realize a fool and his money are soon parted. Like, you're sitting here telling me that, like, the average, the average, you know, he used the, the analogy of, like, a, a ball player. Like, you know, you can't play ball or show you can play ball without, like, your highlight reel. Like, people want to see, if you're talking about money, we want to see where you're spending it. And that's...
2: <laughs> that's and the they, problem.
4: Listen, the cra- this man was dead serious. I, like, I felt like I was being catfished. I was looking around, like, <laughs> like is this in the problem in Black America? Like, right here in my threat? Like, is this actually, like, the, you're actually saying this to me and you know i'm sitting there like you know let's use the ball player analogy right because we mm-hmm. could argue that they actually do have the money but you do realize that statistically most of them go bankrupt stunting and doing the same shit that you're saying that this young man should be doing right so it's like you know and are we the only ones no like you oh know my- we ain't the only one and i feel like when i say these kind of things people feel like well, you attacking the black community like i ain't got nothing to do with the chinese community i ain't got nothing to do with, like i ain't got nothing to do with the white community like my purpose is to fix our community, right? So like, if I'm not talking about any of them, it ain't because I think that we're the only ones doing it because we're not. It's, this is my mission, right? I ain't got nothing to do with what they're doing over there. So, you know, I feel like in our communities, that's a lot of our mindset and you can blame it on whatever. You can blame it on rappers. You can blame it on Instagram. You can blame it on social media. And, you know, and I'm not blaming it on today's rappers because, you know, this shit was cool back in the, you know, back in the eighties. Like, Cool Modi, Everybody wanted some change. Like, So it's a narrative that's been perpetuated over and over and over again that, you know, we feel like in order to be successful, you know, we we can be in poverty. And as long as we can stunt a little bit, we're doing okay. And the reality is that ain't okay.
5: Oh, and that's so true. Like just with the poverty part, because us living in Louisiana, I see it all the time. Like I see this person coming through with this cone, some 26s, like painted out, you pull up to their house and the damn roof falling in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and
4: it ain't even theirs. You know, like it's, so it's like, like not only are you in this house that's like in shitty shape, you don't even own a thing. So, I mean, we've got, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work, we got a lot of folks to touch and it fires me up, it angers me, it like, you know, it, it insults me sometimes, I love it. You know, it's, I got like every single range of emotion tied into Seeing us as a community do better. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing.
5: So with that, I want to ask you, what do you think is one of our first steps to advancing as a community? Was that one thing you would see, okay, this is what we need to do to just start at least?
4: I think the first thing is recognizing, and I say this all the time, that help is not coming from the government. You know, it's like people are, um, especially like top level government. You know what I mean? Like That's people are like, "Well, I'm going now, and I'm voting for a change." Eh, like, <laughs> you know, you were poor under Obama. You still poor under Trump. You're probably gonna be poor under the next president too. You know, it's like it's not happening. You know, I can I can almost see if you were talking about like making a change with like your city councilman. Like, sure, maybe you got a better chance. Like, especially if you know the dude, you can probably like kick him off a little something to give you some breaks. But You know, I think that we need to first and foremost, realize that it's up to us. It's up to every single one of us. So, you know, once we realize like help bank coming, especially on a federal level, I think we can buckle down and start to have some serious conversations about what we need to do to advance. And what you guys are doing, you know, these podcasts, our social media pages, you know, I feel like to a certain extent, you know how people like rag on on vegans, you know, cause they always talk about like plants and don't eat. The- I feel like we're like the vegans of Twitter. You know what I mean? Like the, the black <laughs> wealth. Like, yeah. yeah. Like all we talk about is money. Like, and people are like outside of black wealth Twitter treating us like, you know. they oh, they crazy. They don't want
2: us to have no fun. Yeah, they yeah, just.
4: Yeah, we can't do that. You know, but it's like, there's such a mindset to shift. You know, we need to be louder. You know, and we need more influencers to be louder. Because it's going to take our community to get us out of the situation that we're
5: in. You just made two very key points. One of them was the lobbyist referral that you had. I think that that's definitely important, especially like you said on that, that, on, that local national gov- scale? No, no, on that local governance side. Like if you lobby if you can lobby with your city council or right. if you can get something done within your city, I don't give a damn what's going on in New York. I live in Louisiana. I live in Lafayette. If I can start seeing those small, subtle changes, once you, the uh, act of inertia, once you put things into motion, it's going to keep on rolling. It's going to start building up. It's going to start taking a massive effect. Yeah. And when I'm from Opaloosa, Louisiana, man, we yeah. had a black mayor, a black chief of police, a black, this, like our government is black, but our town is still Double shitty. Double change. Yeah. Shitty. Yeah. So y- you're right yeah. on that.
4: I was just thinking, you know, and I'm a registered Democrat, but, you know, I was saying to someone recently. And thinking about this recently, that you know, we've been voting Democrat, thinking that that's going to fix our communities forever. You know what I mean? Like how long? Like you know, okay, if we just get a Democratic president, things will be better. You know, weren't you poor the last Democratic president? That wasn't you know. So or like Philly's had a Democratic mayor for probably my entire life. I mean, I can't remember Philly having a Republican mayor. Philly's a very black city. Probably not, you know maybe not as black as Baltimore, but, you know, we're a pretty black city. Blacks are really, really poor in Philly. So it's like if we've had Democratic leaders, most, you know, and black mayors um, forever in Philly, and we're still struggling with poverty, like it ain't adding up. Like, so, and we keep going down to Opal, we can just get another Democrat in. It's like, you know, when are we going to realize and recognize that more is required? What do I know? I don't want to be a politician. I don't like, so I guess I can't really complain about politics too much.
2: Yeah. But still, just that personal accountability piece. That's that shit that people don't like to talk about that we're going to keep talking about.
4: Yep. Yep. Agreed.
3: What you got, Jay? Nah. I was just going to say, speaking even further, like considering that you mentioned uh, personal accountability, but I wanted to go back to what you had said before, kind of talking about the social media portion. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people kind of go around on social media is that personal accountability of it's like, Well, you know, I did this. I got myself in this situation. How do I get myself out of these situations? And I also, I want to go back to your tweet. I know that, you know, shook the world for a second there where you talked about, like, being a 20-year-old sacrificing your 20s and then going through it and then turn around. And now, you know, you can turn around and you had that personal accountability and the sacrifice along with it. And now you can say stuff like, you know, if I want Italian, I can fly to Italy.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because that tweet jarred a lot of people, some in a good way and some like responded, they responded so negatively to it. I knew it triggered something inside of them. Like people got hostile about that shit. Like, oh yeah, they got mad. Yeah, they got mad. And it's like, you know, for, and I never said like, y'all need to do it the same way I did. It. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, I sacrifice my 20s, work 60, 80 hours every single week. And that's what you have to do in order to be successful. I never said that. That was my path. I'm a workaholic. Like, I like to work. I like the hustle. I like to grind. I'll be on vacations. Like, my sister will be mad. We'll be on an island and I got my laptop out. Like, I can sit at a, at a beach or pool and rock out. Like, but that's just me. That's not everybody. So, but I feel like for that post to have triggered and jarred so many people, I think that it made some people recognize their own inadequacies and instead of like stepping up and saying, you know what? Yeah, no, I partied my twenties. Like I had a good time. It was what it was. And now here's what I'm doing to get my situation to where I needed to be. Like, or, you know, like, you know what? I don't need to be able to fly to Italy at 41. You know, if I want dinner, I'm like, I'm cool with, you know, going to the Garden and rocking out. So I'm going to get my stuff together so that I can do what I want to do. Like, so I think that most people didn't, a lot of people didn't take that message the right way because of their own lack of personal responsibility. I think that there's also just in my own personal development and growth. you know, I think that there's so much of a battle that, you know, is both on social media and just kind of out there in general about the idea of a self-made person. You know, because that's where people start to like they have this inner turmoil of, you know, I was basically saying I came from nothing and went from nothing to a millionaire by 30 and now 41. I mean, I could retire today. I work now literally just because I'm being greedy. So, you know, the distinction is, you know, I feel like my own personal growth is coming from I recognize I had advantages that other people didn't. And me growing does recognize that. Because years ago, I wouldn't have said that. I would have been like, no, I'm straight from the mud. I'm straight from the passion project. So like, you know, I went from, you know, here to here, like on my own back. But in recognizing I did have that mom who was like, you know what, whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it. You know, people are running around on social media saying, my mom's a college professor at an Ivy League school. So I went to an Ivy League, like none of that is true. But my mom is a nurse. So my $20,000 of my college education was paid for. Because I went to Temple College and she's a nurse at Temple Hospital, that's an advantage. You know, not to say that twenty thousand dollars would have made or broken my story, but not everybody got that. Not everybody had a mom who loved them. I didn't have a dad around, but I had a mom who was like—I mean, I say she's the goat of moms. She was everything. Not everybody was loved as a kid. So there are—you know—I take those as advantages that I did have in life and recognize that. But at the same time, we've got to take responsibility and accountability for our
2: own stories, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah it, with the advantages thing. Like I hate that that's always the mentality on it too, because well, like, they uh, had a head the, yeah, like they had a head start with like, okay, yes, you can't help your situation from wherever you started, but yep. you can still do whatever it takes to, like, I always looked at it as it should be a situation where like, if somebody had a leg up on me cause something they parents did for them, that should be inspiration to me. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. To so do better for my children versus hating on them for yep. their parents doing better for them.
4: Yep. I 100 percent agree. You know, I feel like most people, you know, you could argue that for anyone. Like when that whole tweet went viral, a little viral. I had somebody say to me, like, if you grew up in the United States or if you were born in the United States, then you had an advantage that I didn't have. Like, he's like, you don't know nothing about, like, fighting to get out of your country during, during war times, trying to get out of your country to get to a safe place. I'm like, no, nigga, I don't know do shit about that. Like, I-, I don't even know what you're talking about. So, you know, you can argue that we all have, you know, some sort of advantages. If you were born free, you know, you've got an advantage. You know, like some people are like, well, you know, if you were born with two parents in a suburb, you're like, you you have an advantage. At the end of the day, I'm not looking at what anyone has or doesn't have or had an advantage over me. And, you know, however they utilize it, all I'm thinking about is my journey. And I don't care who's handed what. The only scoreboard I'm watching is mine.
5: Mm. I love it. I love it. And I kind of want to go back to the beginning of your story. And so I just want to make sure I'm correct. Financial advisor and stockbroker—they're two separate things, correct?
4: No, they're both one and the same. So I have—so um, my firm, which spun off of American Express, probably geez, fifteen years ago—they um, kind of operate like a like a McDonald's. You know, McDonald's can have a corporate site and/or franchise site. So my firm basically operates the same way. You can either be an employee financial advisor, stockbroker, or you can go on the franchise side. So about six years ago, I went on the franchise side. So my nine to five basically is as a financial advisor, which you have to be, you have to have your series seven license broker, broker license to do what I do, or at least at my firm, I became a franchise owner of my practice in 2014.
5: Okay. I love it. And see, I never knew that they were the same thing. So thank you for clarifying that for me. Yep. Um, so I kind of want to fast forward now to the current times that we're in with the stock market and how volatile it is and just... Can we get some insight for those people who might be a little bit fearful as how they can navigate through this and how they can come out on the other side of here?
4: Yeah, so I'm a little limited in what I can say about stocks. So I'll be fairly generic, which will be intentional, um, because my firm, they highly scrutinize me giving advice via social media. So when when the market started tanking back in, like I think, end of February, my message to people was, don't get scared, buy the dips, you know? So if the market falls from 29,000 down to 25,000, you know, I started to peak up. And then when it dipped to like 22,000, I'm like, yeah, I need a little bit of that, you know? So I started watching the stocks that were dropping and, you know, just very generically tweeting, you know, buy the dips. And then when the market dropped below 20,000, I kept buying, I said, okay, like, you know, so we're basically talking like a 9,000 point swing in the Dow. So I started buying some more. The Dow dropped below 19,000, I bought a lot more. The challenge is that's when most people are panicking. You know Warren Buffett says, you know arguably one of the best quotes, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. When most people are like absolutely scared, which was, you know, a few weeks ago when the market was like below 19,000, those are the times to buy. And most people, and you've got technical analysis versus like fundamental analysis. The technical people are like, oh, we haven't hit our bottom. And I don't know what they're saying today, because now that the market's gone from back above 19,000 and is now at, I think, 23,000 or so. I don't know what they're saying now, but I was preaching to people, you can't time the market. We don't know when it'll bottom. So if it's dropping, valor cost average, just keep buying in small increments into the market as it goes down. And that's a philosophy and that's a strategy that's worked for me over time. People who like, you know, have these technical analysis charts and they think that they're, you know, super smart and trying to figure out when is this thing going to bottom. I don't even know if they ever even got in because I know most of them were saying that we weren't at the bottom. So mm. I hope they bought some at 19000 eighteen five or $18,500 know, or however low it got. But that was a great price.
5: Hey, y'all heard it first. So y'all definitely learn how to adjust your risk tolerance. Y'all seen it going down? Stop purchasing.
4: Yeah. So you got I mean, you got, I mean, there's some really good companies that you're like, you know, they're probably not going, Apple's probably not going under, like, you know, they got a lot of cash. You know, there are companies that you look at there that you're like, you know, they're probably not going bankrupt. You know, but I would also say that these are obviously unprecedented times. I read an article today and I tweeted about it that said unemployment could hit like 30, I think it's like 32% or something. Um, I don't think that that's ever happened. Like ever. That's like
2: Great Depression. Um, Great Depression right?
1: was 25%. It, 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 really?
4: It's worse. Yeah. Great Depression was, I think, capped out at 24.9. 30-some percent unemployment. I can't even think. Fa- I mean, that's like looking at Americans, one, two, you're out of job. One, two, yeah. you're out of job. Like, that's a lot of people. So, you know, we, we, we don't know. I think I think it's saying that we're currently sitting at somewhere around like 14% or so, which even that's high. We haven't seen we haven't seen numbers that high since like the late 30s. So it's already pretty bad, but to go to 30% or higher is just, I can't even imagine. So I say all that to say, we may test those lows again and may like, and people will, Aisha, what are you going to be doing? I'm going to just keep buying. Yeah. If the market dips further, if it dips to 16, if it dips to 10, I'm buying. I
3: love it. I think it's really cool. I I really like the awareness in that. Like you are basically coming up with like, I have a strategy. This strategy has worked for me cause I done bumped my head a bunch of different times on different strategies. And this is the one I'm rocking with. So I'm buying the dips and that's how I'ma go. Yep. Whether it's it looking crazy or it's looking good. If it's dipping, I'm buying.
4: And you know, and the crazy thing is, I be scared as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ain't even gonna hold you. I be scared. Like, you know what I mean? Like there are days I'll be sitting in my apartment like, yo, like this thing is getting like crazy. Like, you know, like, but it is like, you just got to keep doing it. You just like, you got to think like, let me untie myself from this emotionally. And what would I tell my clients to do? I would tell them to keep dollar cost averaging, keep buying as it's dropping. And, you know, it's easy because people can look back at 2008 and say, oh, well, sh-, you know, I, you should have sold here, bought there, sold here, bought that Did You know, you should like, it's easy to say that after the fact, but we don't know where we are in that chart. But what I do know is if I look at a 2008 chart and said, you know what, if I was buying, 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 and then the market went significantly higher even than the prior peak in 2007, do I really care if I didn't catch it at the bottom?
1: Nope. Message. I think one of the hardest things is when your dollar cost averaging is keeping the, your money. So it's, it's, hard. it's so hard to like when it dropped below uh, 19,000, like to not just throw all of it at it.
4: All of it at it. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's one of the hardest parts when getting people new, especially new people to yep. start dollar cost averaging.
4: Well, see, that's why fundamentally the premise of dollar cost averaging works from a recurring like stream of income. You know what I mean? So like if I'm, you know, I, I wasn't dollar cost averaging my entire savings into the market. You know? So I was dollar cost averaging like, you know, p- the average person is dollar cost averaging their 401k contributions. They don't have all of that all at once. You know what I mean? So if the market's going down, they're buying through biweekly payroll contributions. Or if you get paid, if you're a business owner, you get paid every other Friday, you're taking your pay from every other Friday and throwing it into the market. So, you know, I'm never encouraging people. And that's, you know, people were saying, well, you know, you don't want to catch a fallen knife. And, you know, I'm not telling anybody to throw their savings into, you know, what could be a fire market for the next three, six, nine, 12 months, two years. This should be long term money that I have no intentions of touching it in the next, you know, three, five, seven, ten plus years anyway. So that's not my savings. So that shouldn't be like a, a limited pool of money. That should be money that's coming in constantly anyway.
1: I got another question It's kind of shifting gears back into the real estate. Um, you had tweeted earlier or maybe it might have even been last week about people buying uh, single families or people not buying single families versus. Multifamilies and that yep. whole, how they got misconstrued. Can you talk about that?
4: Yeah. So, you know, I think that people get so caught up in like the sizzle of the gurus, right? So, a lot of gurus out there, Grant Cardone especially, like preaches about multifamilies. multifamilies. Don't do single families. Don't do this. Don't do that. But you really just have to find what works for you. I mean, I know people in certain parts of the country, St. Louis, Memphis, wherever. I mean, they're getting like crazy cat rates on single family properties. Why the hell so would? You?
5: It's so cheap.
4: It's so cheap. I mean, I know people in St. Louis getting like 20, 25% cat rates. So you're telling me like, not don't do that so that I can buy a two or three or four or five unit in Miami? You must be out your damn mind. No way. So I bought about at least a couple dozen, 25, maybe even more single family properties before I bought my first multifamily. Because for me, I am a cash flow investor. The very first question I ask when I'm looking at an investment is, if I put my money out, how long is it gonna take me to get my money back? That's really all I care about. You know, there's a couple other dynamics, meaning like I need to make sure that it's a relatively safe, like a reasonable person would live there. Like I'm not investing somewhere where I can't imagine a reasonable person living. Um, You know, so there's a few other variables in there, but my primary question is, if I put 20 grand out, how long is it going to take my 20 grand to come back to me? Because at that point I'm playing with the house money. You know, after that we cool, you know, so if I get my 20 grand back and at that point I'm getting cash flow from, you know, up and above and beyond my 20 K I'm having fun at that point because I'm, we just playing with house money. My money's already returned to me. And we just have, this is a shit and giggles money. Oh, we cool. So whether that's a single family, you know, so if a single family is going to run me my money back faster than a multifamily would, I'm going with a single family. If I find a multi family that's going to run me back my money faster than a single family, I'm going multi. So, if you call yourself a true cash flow investor, your goal should be getting your cash back as quickly as possible. Whether that's a single family or multi family, you're going to rock out with the one that's going to give you the highest cat rate. Mm-hmm. But people get so caught up in this oh, no, I only buy multis, you know, because, you know, and there are pros and cons of each. You know, people would argue that. Well, if one of your units goes vacant in a multifamily, you still have two other tenants and they're still paying rent. I could argue that one of them crazy ass tenants could pour cement down their toilet and suddenly the plumbing ain't working for the whole building. Ain't nobody paying rent. Like, you know, Mm. you could argue pros and cons to each. So don't tell me, like, you know, oh, well, you know, you may have a tenant. I have tenants in a four unit I have in North Philly arguing and texting me talking about one of them or two of them didn't bring a trash can in. I'm like, are we adults or are we children? I'm not sure. Like, why y'all grown people are contacting me about somebody who didn't bring a trash can in? So, you know, there's mm-hmm. I never get that from single families. Like, you ain't gonna call me and tell me what the neighbors do, and that's not my problem.
5: Mm-hmm. So,
4: you know, it's pros and cons. All I care about is run me my money back. <laughs>
3: <laughs> is it a deal? Hey, Damn it! So that's the bar right there. Aisha said, them. "Run me my money." <laughs> 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 my money,
4: that stat.
3: And that's a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I need Aisha uh, right there on the front.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to get into what you're saying. That that means that you manage all your own properties yourself too.
4: I do. I do. I've never. In fact, I just rented today my last single family rental that I just finished rehabbing. And I used an agent to do that, which that's even the first time I've ever used an agent to get a property rented. Prior to this, I've been 100% listing on my own and 100% managing on my own. And the only reason I did it this time is because I pulled it off. She's a good friend of mine. And I pulled it off because of the coronavirus. And she's like, no, I think I can move it. And she did. But other than that, I'm trying to keep all my money. Most people, you know, people ask, you know, how do you have 31 buildings? And I think I've got like four mortgages, I think. And it's largely because like 10% of my rents don't go to property managers. The only way I would really hire someone or pay someone a premium to manage something for me is if I was physically not in the area, if I was like out of state and I couldn't physically do it myself. But all my rentals are here in Philly. I pay someone a premium to GC my project out in LA because I'm not there. It's 2,400 miles away. So I can't. Uh, I
5: want to get um, into that next too.
4: Yeah. I mean, all my properties are here in Philly. so There's no reason why I can't do it. Now what I've said is I'm starting to get to that point where I've been working for a long time. I've been working really hard and I want to focus on some other stuff. So I've got 12 more units in my inventory to rehab and rent. So once those 12 are done, which will add another like 12,000 onto my rent roll, once that's done, I will probably have someone manage my entire portfolio, someone who works 100% for me. So I'll finally delegate that out, pay like a fixed salary. And I may even offer that as a service to other investors to kind of offset my cost because I want to spend more time out in LA than here in Philly, eventually focus on like More teaching and books and all that stuff.
5: Oh, that's dope. So my next question with that is, what has been the biggest lesson since getting into real estate versus being in the stock market? What was something that you was like, okay, I can't keep doing this thinking that it's stock market?
4: Um, you know, I approach them very differently. I mean, I buy primarily dividend paying stocks. I like income. So I primarily buy dividend paying stocks. Real estate was kind of comparable because I'm looking for income in both Mm -hmm. strategies. You know, for me, I have a love for both. I like real estate a little more because I can get not, I won't call it guaranteed, but to a certain extent, I can predict my returns. And that's what I like about real estate more. I mean, to a certain extent, once I know the cost of the building, the cost of my rehabs, I can pretty much estimate what my return on my investment is going to be. In the stock market, aside from the dividend, which could get cut at any time, I really have no idea how much I'm going to make.
2: And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that with the dividends. Cause uh we when I one of my friends was talking about that. He was like, Hey man, I ain't got my dividends and a lot of companies right now, they suspending dividends. They or yeah. they in talks of, if they haven't already, a lot of them are 'cause like I think it's real interesting with right now in the uh the economic times, like even with the market, like just watching it, like you see it continue to go up, but you hear all this bad news and these bad projections about like Q two earnings. And I yeah. just I wonder when the, kind of like the reality is going to set in, in that regard.
4: Yeah. You know, I think that we're going to probably see a lot of companies cut dividends significantly. over. I mean, if we don't know what's going to happen, because again, these are unprecedented times, but if we see unemployment hit anywhere near the levels that they're forecasting, oh yeah, dividends are absolutely going to get cut. Yeah. I mean, it's not a question.
2: Did they cut uh, dividends in a 08?
4: Hmm. I can't remember any companies that I held cutting their dividends. Like I was, um, I had quite a bit of Apple back then, but Apple didn't even pay a dividend until I think like 2012-ish. So, you know, they didn't cut because I mean, most tech companies don't even pay dividends, but Apple wasn't paying a dividend back in 08. And I had quite a bit of Apple.
0: When something happens to your kitchen, you might say,
1: This is ludicrous.
0: So I, I have a question
3: because um, you mentioned and you, uh, several times and it's very accurate, like these are unprecedented times and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. So with that being said, if somebody was trying to get started, where would you kind of coach them to go? Would you just say save, you know, just save all your money right now and kind of wait or,
4: you know, I think that you have to be, I think there's steps in this process and I think that, you know, a lot of people like miss those steps and jump from a financial shit show to thinking they can be an investor you know, but there's a whole lot of work that goes between where you may be right now to point of arrival. So I think that one of the steps between being a financial disaster and a disciplined investor is learning how to first save and pay yourself first. So I think that people advance and kind of jump way too quickly. I've seen investors who own rental properties, but don't know how to budget and save. And then they wonder why their property is being foreclosed on. I talked to one investor and she was telling me that her rental was being foreclosed on. And I'm like, damn, I'm sorry to hear that. How long has the tenant not been paying rent? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're losing the property. Like, was the tenant not paying rent? She said, oh, no, they were paying rent, but I needed the money to use it for, you know, so I'm like, wait, no, 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 back up. That wasn't your money. Like, you're basically, as a landlord in that position, you're like a conduit between the tenant and making sure that the bank gets their money. That was never your money to even spend. So when you get people who don't really get that, because they haven't learned the disciplines between going from financial disaster to being a disciplined investor, I think that misstep or skipping that step is what creates a lot of problems.
3: That's important. Really, I like the way you put that together because a lot of people think, you know, if I just get started, if I could just get, you know, into whatever that ideal asset is for them, that, you know, all oh, that's going to fix all my problems. But it's like, right. if you had money problems before that and you don't know how to manage your money, you still don't have those problems.
4: People don't like to hear that part right there. People don't hear that. People think more money solves their money problems, and no, the hell it doesn't. Your problems just become bigger. You know, like even Big said, more money. You know, more money, more problems. Like you know, it's like the way this works is like if you don't have the financial discipline to manage where you are today, even if your income shot up ten times, you would go through what we call lifestyle inflation. Mm-hmm. your lifestyle would gradually elevate up to a level where your new income was. So suddenly you got a bigger car, a bit, you know, a bigger house, a nicer car. you got, your kids are in private school. And I don't think that people get that. Most people think if you, if you were to give me a million dollars, I would be set. It's like, no, you'll probably be broke in just, you know, about a week. It's because if you couldn't manage the, the thousand bucks, you can't manage the million bucks.
5: Because you can buy everything that you that. wanted. And
2: then you're not going to invest none of it.
4: Most people do not want to hear that. Or they would buy into like a get-rich-quick scheme and say, oh, investing didn't work for me. It's, you can't, but you can't tell most people that.
2: Got to little learn for themselves. I know we still are young. We in this, we just fresh into the game ourselves. I mean, what, this year two for yeah, us? It's, 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 like really just, but those lessons and losses that you got to take. Like I got caught up in a get-rich-quick scheme whenever I first learned about investing and all that. And like the lessons you learn from that, now I think it helps me just navigate and like, different investment opportunities those forex by the way just to mention i got yeah, caught up in the forex. About
4: right. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's there's a lot of lessons to learn in this game and i think actually those are great lessons i think i mean your forex get rich quick was the equivalent of me buying a technology mutual fund in 1999 you know i know it's the chase it's oh it's made so much money oh it looks great and that's what we fall into but you know, if you focus on and start working on the disciplines of investing, you don't get caught up in those kinds of things. Because you like, in my mind, I think a couple things. One, actually, I think everything's a Ponzi scheme. Like, I think everybody's running a Ponzi scheme. Like, I'm always like, that's always my first thought. Um, you know, you know, I always tell people, if it sounds too good to be true, it more than likely is, right? You know, somebody's telling you they're going to get what is, give you basically what is the equivalent of, a 70%, 80%, 100% annual rate of return. How? How? You know, and some of this is just education. You know, like one of my favorite shows is American Greed. And you know, you're listening like, you thought that was possible, family? Like, what were you thinking? Like, you know, they basically told you they were gonna promise you the stars and, and you didn't think for once that sounded a little too good to be true. So, and that's what I try to, like, educate people on. Like, looking at how do you analyze numbers? How do you look at realistic returns? Because I think everybody out here, like, just capping. Like, mm -mm.
5: no, (laughs) You got me on my soapbox (laughs) now. I'm thinking about some shit. So I see everybody doing this damn cash app scheme right now, right? This Get Rich Cash app. You cash (laughs) app me $25. We're going to do the pyramid thing or whatever. But once you start to educate them about, you know, hey, start learning about, Financial literacy, start learning how to save and everything. That doesn't become feasible. That's mm. impossible. Once But you're going pay these motherfuckers sound like $25 to get to $800. And once you get to the top, they're going to pay you out? Yeah, no, no. Nah, a- nah. That makes sense. <laughs> nope, no. Nah. Yeah,
3: you, know- you, said, you said something in there that I really I did want to pick out too. Like, I really like that with a lot of it is lack of education. Like a lot of it is just people don't understand. And you can tell that from the conversation that like they really genuinely don't get it. Like yeah. for example, we did a video uh, for our Instagram page where we were explaining like how 401ks are tied to the stock market. I had family contacting me saying like, Hey, should I cash in my 401k and, you know, go, you know, buy some stock and do this, that, and the third, cause the market's going crazy. They just really genuinely didn't understand like, yeah. or like for example, today, I see a lot of people uh, talking about with the stimulus packages, people being like, you know, hey, I got my 1200 Well, you know, how did you get your 1200 You supposedly make so much money. But folks don't even understand, like, LLC Twitter, as they call them, like, that can go on a completely different ledger. That's not even my money. Like, <laughs>
4: yeah, no, I mean, it's, there's so many, like you said, it all comes down to education and knowing how to work within the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Education, financial literacy, and everybody likes to clown that term. You know, it's so lacking in our communities. That's how people get over on us, and we all know there's so much predatory stuff happening in our community. Mm. Because when you do it to people in our community, you tend Nobody to get away makes with
5: a fuss about it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's tend real to, you shit. You get
4: away with it. Like you know, I was um, there's a guy on Twitter that somebody just said yesterday he's a scammer and there was a guy who literally wrote like a whole blog on how he was scamming people. And I'm like, this dude got a lot of time on his hands. I'm like black people don't, we ain't got that kind of time on our hands. Like, you know, this man had like a whole like ledgers, bullet points, letters, tweets. Like he had like, I mean, this man did research. I'm like, this man is a Karen. He is like a legit Karen. And because we don't have Karens, you know what I mean? Like, when are we doing all that shit? You know, it's like somebody burnt me, like God damn it, they got me. You know, we've got this no snitch like you know mantra in our community, and it's like so because of that, like people get burnt, nobody tells, and it's like you know you don't want to be a snitch, you don't want to be a hater, you know? Because suddenly when you on somebody's page and you calling them out, you become a hater. So it's you know we got to educate ourselves because we ain't going to snitch and we ain't going to be a Karen and we ain't going to do all this other stuff. You know, we
5: still have to watch out for our community. F that. I'm telling. If you taking me out of my, I'll take you to court.
4: Listen, let me tell you something. If somebody, and that's a part of the reason why I do all my own investing, I don't buy into feeder funds and all that's a personal preference. Um, partially because I have control issues, partially because I think everybody's running a Ponzi. And I know for a fact that if someone burned me, I'm going to jail. It, like, it's not even like I know the pure rage that would go through me, and somebody got to raise my dogs. Like, I would lose it. Oh. So.
3: Yeah, you can't be leaving a hustle by itself out here. Come on now.
4: <laughs> listen, listen, he will be out in these streets. You know no, I,
5: mean? I take him, don't put him out in the streets.
4: No, that's my baby. He'd be, he be in cell block D with me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I got any more questions, fellas? Nah,
5: man, she can't came do... through. Thank you. Yeah. I was yeah. Just yeah. This
4: is great it's stuff. Great. I love, I love, love, love the work that y'all are doing. In case someone hasn't told y'all recently, our community needs this, we need y'all. Keep doing what y'all are doing because this is much, much needed. And y'all, y'all probably have no idea how many lives you're impacting. And, like, you know, people are impacted by the people that you impact. I mean, this is the stuff that we need more of. So keep doing what y'all are doing. I love it.
2: Thank you, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Like That, that, that means a lot coming from you. Yeah. Like we really, yeah, I was
3: about to say coming from her.
2: Yeah, like <laughs> we, yeah that shit is different. But we could think of it to the last segment of the show, Aisha. We want to ask you what's on your timeline. What's something that you've seen or posted on social media that you want to talk about?
4: You know, actually, we already did. That tweet, I mean, the, in, it was actually on my Instagram page. That comment that that young man said about how if you've got money, it should be flashed on your timeline. Um, we should be able to see it on your page. Is that like, I, I'm going to think about that probably for the next month. <laughs> I'm really going to think about that yes. for the next month. I could not believe someone actually, you know, wrote one of the biggest problems that's in our community today. And this man was like, like dead ass serious. I, like, hey. I, I, my mind is blown. I need to go back and like reread it. I, don't, I just, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're, you're right. I don't even need that kind of negativity
3: in my life. You are subjecting um, yourself to the trauma. Don't even do yeah. it. Yeah.
4: <laughs> that's probably one of the most interesting and sad and normally I would like retweet that person, you know, kind of like put that on blast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't want to embarrass him. I don't think that he was being malicious. I think that that was just like, if I thought he was being malicious, I would retweet and make an ass out of him. But I don't think that there's no intent there. I think that that's just literally just ignorance.
3: Yeah. And that mm-hmm. to me
4: is sad more than anything.
3: I yeah. agree. I, I definitely, I see that too a lot on social media where people listen. There's certain situations where it'll be like all right you're being aggressive and all right they you know check them off but other instances where it's just like you genuinely i can tell you really just don't get it like you don't yeah. understand
4: yeah no he didn't get it yeah he didn't
5: get it well we're gonna pray for homeboy
2: <laughs> yeah hey, man. but that's you know heat. like they said man everybody can't come i always been a the subscriber to the belief too like with you're people like right. that like
5: I'll lead you to the lake. I'll lead ain't you, force lake, you to the lake, but I can't force
2: you to drink. Like, if I put it in your face, you ask the question like you said. Like, he wasn't malicious in his approach. Yeah, yep. I can put the information in your face. You do with it what you must. Like, it, I can't sit here and drill it into your head that, look, this ain't what it is. Like, this ain't wealth. Because, yeah, you're going to have to – I always say that. You got to do it for yourself first. You yep. can't – nobody can do the work for yep. you. Yep. Like, people hit us up. I want to invest. You're going to have Listen, to learn I mean, how to invest, homie. I can't do that for you. I'm not a financial advisor.
3: I ain't trying to go to jail. And we ain't running no Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah, I
4: love to hear that too. I mean, you know, <laughs> how I kind of trying to, because I, I, at first I thought I could save everybody, like everybody, they just need to hear the info. Like, but what I found is that, you know, a lot of people wandered in the wilderness not everybody made it to the promised land. So everybody ain't going to make it. But the work that you guys are doing, the work that myself and other investors are doing just to get the information out there, it will get a lot more people to the promised land than otherwise would. And mm-hmm. all we can do is what we're doing.
5: Hey, that. we're going to keep on doing it too. We can't do it no more. <laughs> Some shit. Yeah, and be sh- you be, be an earth. example.
4: Be like, be that shot. Like, talk about what you're doing. Talk about what you got. Let them see a stunt just a little bit. You know what I mean? Like put it out there so that like folks know, like, I mean, I'm, there's Philly me and then there's LA me, you know, like in Philly, I'm riding around in a pickup truck, my tire kind of flat, you know, it's like I'm like barely making it out here in Philly. In LA, I got my Porsche out there, I'm riding around, like I'm, you know, I live a little different out there, but, mm. you know, that's, that's, that's Philly and that's, that's LA. I make my money here, I spend it there. So. Hey, I love it. it?
5: Well, I think that's all we got. Before we wrap up though, can you tell them where they can find you at on whatever you use, social media? So Twitter, Instagram, anything you want to plug yourself in?
4: Yes. I'm mostly on, I do have a Facebook account, but I'm almost never on there. So Facebook, I do have a page, but I think I'm close to my 5,000 followers or friends or whatever they call it. But I'm mostly on Instagram and Twitter at Aisha Selden uh, is my handle. And I'm pretty now vocal on both. I wasn't on Twitter for a long time. I actually just got on Twitter um, heavy in December. So, damn, yeah. yeah.
5: I thought you been giving she them been the flame. Twitter, yeah, yeah. Been yeah. head ever since.
4: I, was, I know. Now I'm on Twitter more than I'm on Instagram. I used to be on Instagram a lot, and now I'm now I'm probably equally on on both. Actually, I'm. Damn I made
3: bird people. out. Yeah. <laughs> damn bird. I like that. I, I like even that little last tidbit that you said about you know making sure that you shine your light. Like, I was selling them my uh, I compare it. I think it was last week I was telling y'all to that uh, that, co- that quote from Coach Carter where, you know, he told him basically, you know, you had to shine your light to give others permission to shine their light. And I really feel right, like that's right. what we have to do in this movement to get people on track with the money. Yep. But well,
2: yeah, Miss Aisha, we definitely, definitely mm-hmm. thank you for hopping on the podcast with, you, with us. We're going to hop into a couple of housekeeping right before we dip. Thank everybody for listening to the Black Wolf Renaissance podcast week in week out. We love and support everything y'all got going on. We love to support y'all. Be showing the ratings, the reviews. Yeah. Just keep it coming. Share topics with us that you'd like to hear about, and just help us keep growing.
5: Yeah, and y'all definitely be safe through this time. Y'all be smart. Be smart with your money. If you get this twelve hundred dollars, don't blow it. Don't go do nothing crazy with it. So y'all definitely just educate yourself. And um. Most importantly, just get out and go do it. Don't be scared, man. Gary, Kelly, y'all got anything?
1: Keep rocking with us. Keep rate, subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube. We'll post some more content on there. Um, keep the lookout for new products that's coming out on
3: BWR. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just make sure, you know, like uh, Kelly said, be on the lookout for everything that's coming. And one big thing I really would appreciate if everybody just just Google dollar cost averaging because we said it a lot of times in the podcast. And I know they had told me about it. I ain't know what it was. I ain't going to blame. You. I ain't going to be mean to you. Just go Google it and you'll find out because it's very important in this current economic times.
5: Yes, and sir. If y'all don't understand it, we're going to try to make a video about it. God
2: dang it. Well, with that said, this is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out.
1: Please.
2: Uh, I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs, you know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathons. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs, you know what I'm on. I've been chasing after.